I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. I'm being joined by the winner of the listener co-host contest that I sort of just threw out by the, I don't know, hem of my pants? I don't even know what the fucking expression is. Um, I just thought it would be nice to have, you know, a listener come on the show, do a little back and forth, a little bit of riffing and stuff, and uh, we got the winner, Ryan, on the line right now. Ryan, how are you, my man? It's, uh, I'm doing great and uh, really happy to be here. Cool. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what, what uh, makes people uh, respond, I'll say, to these sort of random contests like this or just really to any post in general. So what, what was it that uh, made you want to uh, submit for the opportunity to come on here? Well, it's a good question because it was, uh, it was pretty random on my part as well. I kind of threw my name in there. And then uh, I was like, oh, crap, I actually won, so now what? And, <laughs> now uh, I have to go on. And, uh, yeah, and so I, originally I just kind of did it because, you know, being uh, who I am and my personality, and I'm always looking to challenge myself and, and get outside my comfort zone. And this was something that uh, uh, just a day earlier I'd been reading about um, creating little challenges for yourself, and then, I, and then I saw this post, and I was like, this is exactly the kind of thing that would challenge my comfort zone. And so I threw my name in, and unfortunately, I'm the winner. So. <laughs> well, we, we will collectively be the judge of the unfortunate state or not yeah, uh, by the end of this, I'm sure. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm super glad you did. Uh, have, you, have you been listening to Nine Cents Long? Um, I, I remember back in the day when it was uh, with the, the, whole live, uh, the whole live thing. So that oh, was, shit. Yeah, like four years ago, right? <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, right at the beginning. That. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's been listening to your show develop and everything has been a very exciting process. Uh, just seeing how the show has evolved and uh, the directions it's turned. It, it's, a really, uh, it's really unique to, to spend a, you know, a, an hour or two hours sometimes with someone every week and to never yeah. actually know them for real, <laughs> but, uh, but to know them you know, know that uh, you know certain intimate details of their life, and uh, it's a really unique experience to to feel connected with someone but have no connection with them, and uh, and so it's been a really cool experience going through the show all these years. That is isn't very interesting. I never. It's weird because I, I I knock out these shows every week, and I don't really think about. And, and this probably means I'm a shitty host, actually. But I don't really think about the experience on the other end in terms of. The, the type of information I divulge on this show, like I, it may come as a shock, but I actually hold back quite a bit uh, of the things that I want to talk about or, thing, or opinions I have because I never really know how it's going to come across. Um, and so it is always interesting because every once in a while I'll get a little correspondence like, you know, we feel like we know you, we listen to you. Uh, and then I'm just like, I have no idea who you are. Yeah, you know, absolutely. so you do get this sort of one-sided friendship 
like sort of rolling, which I mean, I, I, in, I assume you get a lot of random, very personal emails from people, and I'm sure that's what's uh, what's uh, creating that response in the the nine cents letters and such. It's just yeah, you, you create such a bond with people, and and then all of a sudden they're revealing all this crazy personal stuff that you didn't ask for. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it creates some interesting moments. Yeah, and good actually, good lead into nine cents letters for this week too, because we got a really great uh, a, a really great letter here from another listener who uh, has some really interesting questions about porn. And so, <laughs> I hope, Ryan, I hope you're okay at talking about porn. There's, there's no bad questions about it. <laughs> I am a fan, so it'll be, it'll be a good one. Um, and I'm, let me just go through this really quick uh, before we uh, talk a little bit more uh, to you here. Unorthodoxy with which Zaftig, we've got episode two this week, Lucid Dreams and Magical Languages. And I, I just have to say really quick, uh, thank you to everyone who has written Witch Zaftig or written me and had me forward the question on. She this this week's episode is really really good, and we cover some really wonderful. Uh, we she covers some really wonderful ideas, so I'm hoping uh, it's going to spur you guys uh, to send in further questions. I mean, this is really detailed this week and it's it's really interesting and we're going to close out this episode with another episode of militant eroticism another segment uh by uh, aden arden this is going to be 16 and i'd have it somewhere but i didn't write in my notes what it's about so i look forward to that at the tail end here um all right so ryan ryan tell me a little about bit about yourself you know so much about me i know so little about you uh where, where are you from where do you hail from i'm definitely at the advantage in this conversation <laughs> yeah um, well, I'm, uh, I'm from Toronto. Well, I'm living in Toronto, Canada, uh, right now, and um, and grew up in uh, in Ontario all my life, and uh, have uh, moved around a little bit, but stayed always in Ontario. And uh, you know, just kind of uh, the the typical. I hear the the same stories kind of being repeated after a, a couple years of people saying, you know, kind of what their upbringing was and stuff, and how you know, always feeling a little bit uh, out on their own and stuff. So. Very typical of uh, what seems to be the the satanic mindset, uh, yeah. just kind of always feeling a little bit on the outside and uh, not necessarily being upset about it. When did you first uh, discover Satanism? Uh, it, I, I I first uh, looked into it in uh, around '98, which uh, for me is when the internet was kind of getting going in, in my circles, at least. I'm, I know there's some people that had it going way before that. But uh, in college, and uh, I kind of looked into it, and uh, to to make things confusing, the first book I read was Satanic Rituals, which you can imagine, not knowing a lot about Satanism, <laughs> coming across that book was a very uh, unusual, you know, it was a very odd one to read first. Yeah, it was yeah. The only, I asked, I asked for these three books, and this was the only one they had available, so I bought it, figuring I'll pick up the other ones later, and uh, and uh, certainly left me. Uh, really with a lot of questions, but uh, <laughs> I, um, I was able to stumble upon the other copies of the book, and uh, so in 98 that was, uh, didn't join or anything. Uh, uh, it's funny how uh, when listening to a lot of Satanists, we all seem to say, you know, we didn't want to join until we felt we had something to give back. Uh, that right. seems to be a very common statement that we feel just such an appreciation for for the church and uh, and want to honor it by you know being uh, showing that we have worth coming that we don't want to just be a, a vampire on the church and uh, and so it's interesting because I had that same mindset without talking to anyone first and 
and uh, and so eventually uh, you know just kept with my studying and joined later on. Nice. Was there ever a point where uh, you questioned joining at all? You just like, well, you know, I, I'm a Satanist. Why? Why join a, a a group for non a group that that really in essence is a group of non-joiners? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one because um, you know I really like the this is this conversation is the first live conversation I've had with a Satanist, and uh, you know that's going back from ninety in ninety eight when I learned about Satanism. So it's been a long time, and uh, yeah. to never have spoken to someone, it's uh, it's an interesting one. So you kind of. Uh, you kind of have your own interpretations of things, and uh, and I, I kind of when I first read it, I identified strongly. I really like that term about like phase one Satanism, where it's like you want to almost be a, you know a spokesperson for it and go around and explain to your friends why you have this great thing and why you're you know you belong somewhere finally and stuff. And uh, and then eventually, I don't know if you grow out of it or if it just uh, how it comes, but eventually you kind of just find peace with you're just going to do your own thing again. And, uh, and life kind of gets back to normal. And, uh, and so around 2008 or so I joined, so a good 10 years later where I really, I had, um, I, I went through some life changes to where I moved to a community where I didn't know anybody and so I had a lot of free time. And, and I really just, uh, for some reason, I just kind of, it went on the front burner and I just really got into it and started reading and I just devoured everything and uh, just, anything I'd get my hands on and, and really doing a lot of critical thinking of myself and, and who I wanted to be and, and how this fit into my life. And, uh, and uh, it just made sense at that point to, to join, um, to show my uh, support. Uh, financially, it was an insignificant amount to me at that point. So I was happy to be able to just oblige by, the, by uh, sending my money in. And, uh, and really at that point, it really became uh, something that was on my mind a lot more. Uh, early on, I, I, I felt like I identified with it, but it just kind of lived my life. Whereas now, I feel like there's a lot of moments in my life each day where I have it in my head. I'm just thinking about, you know, how does this fit into my life philosophy? Yeah. So, do you have a significant other? I do, I do, and uh, she's not involved with the the church. In fact, uh, um, you know, she's read the Satanic Bible and and uh, and uh, the Satanic Witch, and it's always interesting because uh, on the subway every now and then we'll see someone with a Baphomet or something like that, and she'd be like, "Oh, you should go and say hi to them and stuff." And I'm like, Doesn't really work that way. And she's like, well, do you have like a secret handshake you can do? And yes. I'm like, yeah. This is not the, the Flintstones and the the water buffaloes and stuff. You know this. It's, it doesn't really work that way. So it's just an interesting. Uh, it's interesting to see people's perspective, even someone who has exposure to it, like like she does, to um, to not quite uh, understand the the day to day workings of it. So. Yeah, no, I think that's that, that's really funny, and that it's actually a testament to uh, her because it's easy from the outside. I I think. It's easy to read the Satanic Bible and then have someone you know uh, identify as a Satanist and then to be so sort of turned off of it. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's it, I find it more often than not where you, you, you're you in a relationship with someone, whether it's contractual or not, and they actually shun you because of Satanism. Like, they just they cannot get over those social humps. That, that come with it. Um, so that's yeah, really cool that she's... I could, I could definitely see that being uh, an obstacle for, for a lot of people. And uh, 
it's it's one of the reasons that I've chosen to kind of uh, stay below the radar as far as um, you know revealing myself and uh, you know I'm I'm sure my parents have their suspicions that you know from from growing up and stuff but uh, I you know with the with the the life I live and and uh, and my work uh, it just doesn't make sense to put myself out there because uh, you're counting on people that uh, you're counting on the masses to be educated and understanding yeah. and that's just not uh, that's never a good bet <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like betting against the house man you're gonna yeah. lose eventually you're gonna lose um, all right well I, I mean before we uh, move on with uh, a little bit more show notes here what what do you do I mean what's your what's your passions what, well, what the, drives you through the day as far as um, like I said earlier about revealing, is I am a I'm a professional coach, uh, and so I do I, I coach uh, tennis, and uh, and so my my occupation is high performance children, and and taking kids and getting the most out of them through um, through tennis performance, uh, and so Great. obviously dealing with kids it's always a very sensitive subject for a Satanist, yeah. and so that's one of the, that would be the main reason I would leave it to. I would leave that out of my resume, if you will. Uh, it just doesn't seem to work, but it's an, always an interesting one because my values come through in my coaching, and so it's very consistent. And so it's funny how people will agree with my values, but they would never want to agree with my title. And uh, and so it's always an interesting one that I can I can create these I can create these uh, values that they, that everyone will see as valuable, and seeing their children really benefit from these values that I'm coaching them. But they would never want that label attached. So it's uh, they want a little bit of uh, they want the best of both worlds, I suppose, in the, in their eyes. Yeah, you know, it's an insane world we live in when on a resume someone's going to choose a former or current Catholic priest to teach their mm. kids over a current Satanist when the. Uh, statistical child abuse leans so heavily and I would maybe even argue entirely on the Catholic priest yeah. side of things. Yeah, send those kids on road trips with him. Yeah, yeah. just absolutely crazy. But I totally understand it, so I guess I'm going to have to take your um, phone number and address off of the website now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll be coming down in the near, uh, the near future. But I, I've always found that interesting to see why some people choose to you know, to reveal themselves as one of my friends, uh, one of my friends who I speak to all the time says, you know, to be outed, um, you know, as a, there's a closet Satanist and then there's an out Satanist and, uh, um, it's always interesting to see, you know, uh, who chooses to come out, if you will, and who, who stays in, um, as I do and stuff. And, you know, part of the religion is that we're not here to, for martyrdom and that we're here to, to get the most out of it for ourselves. And so it just makes sense from that point of view. And, uh, so yeah, it's always just kind of been uh, this is the right choice. Hell yeah! Well, <clears throat> I'm gonna run through a couple notes here, uh, but as soon as we dive into nine cents letters, we're gonna get a little bit of uh, back and forth and banter going on here. Sounds um, great. So if you can uh, stand by for just a second here. Uh, quick note, everyone: the Greater Magic Ritual episode is coming up. So obviously, I'm recording it before it airs. So this is the last week that you're going to have an opportunity to submit a question for my esteemed guests to answer. If you want to be a part of the Greater Magic episode history, and remember, this is only once a year, and this is going to be, I think, the fourth, <laughs> fourth one, I think, now, um, but I'm not going to do a whole bunch of them. So if you want to be a part of it, send in your questions now, info at 9centspodcast.com. This is the last week. 
I'll be putting it out on social networks. Uh, so you really, I mean, don't delay anymore. Don't procrastinate. Get it in. Uh, I've got a couple of them right now, and I, I may be able to fit in maybe two more. So if you've got a good one, send it in. <clears throat> I do want to note really quick that uh, because obviously Ryan is on here, this is a, a random contest. And though uh, historically we haven't run a lot of contests on this show, um, I do communicate a lot on different social networks, uh, primarily show notes, but also whenever there's a thought or whenever there's uh, you know a friend of the show that's promoting something, I'll reshare that post um, or those comments uh, because I think they're going to be of value to you, the listeners. So if you do uh, exist in social networks and if you are okay with following uh, podcasts like mine on social networks, uh, check out Nine Cents Podcast. All of the links are on the uh, homepage of the website, really. But really, I mean, we're, as you know, on all of the, the major ones. So check us out there. And if it wasn't for that, uh, we would never ha uh, be lucky enough to have Ryan on and uh, be able to get a little outside information up in uh, Canada. So I got to tell you, man, I was talking to uh, Witch Zaftig, who also hails from the north. Yes, she does. <laughs> north of me, anyway. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty cool. They, I, I actually know of, an, an, I don't know, I'd say a small number of them up there. Uh, are you aware of a, a, a big uh, I, population? Uh, I know there's a couple hanging around in Toronto, and uh, I know there's a... There's a few people spread out. Uh, we're such a big landmass; it's uh, it's yeah, it's hard to be close to anyone, even in Toronto. And uh, and so yeah, but there definitely there's some in Ottawa hanging out, and uh, you know we all seem to just do our own thing, which is great. That's you know yeah. you could argue that that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's cool. Um, I, I gotta uh, chime in here if this has happened to you. I'm sure it has, but this this is this bothers me actually. So I was I was sitting at work today today uh, Friday, whenever the last day I worked was, and I I a coworker like sent a reply to something I said, but it was such a stupid reply, meaning that y you have to like remove yourself from the job that she is hired to do in order to come up with a reply like this that it blew me away and I had to sort of sit back in my seat and try to think how is it possible that she's this fucking stupid and I came up with two options and tell me if you've ever run into this before in your interactions with other people either <laughs> either she is so stupid that she is like a borderline like vegetable retard or I'm a motherfucking genius because the disparity between like like what I do and how I think compared to what she does and what she thinks is so great that it cannot just be an average person to an average person. There has to be such a huge gap. Just so fucking stupid. And the reality is, is I do not think that I... I mean, I'm honest. I, I'm far from being a genius. So she has to be a fucking retard. So how is it even possible that she... How is it possible that you could be hired to do a job and be so incompetent at this job? Do you run into people like this? I, I, I like your statement, though, about the, the genius, because uh, when I, whenever I first started, started in the workforce, it was always frustrating to me to, to be dealing with people. And I was like, what's going on with all these imbeciles? Like, how, <laughs> how is this possible that people don't understand basic concepts uh, in, in life? And... Uh, and then I, I had a conversation with one of my mentors once and, and he had that that moment where he said, you know, he used to think like that. And then 
you know, he was given an IQ test one time and he scored a genius. And then he realized that it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't that the rest of the world was stupid, it was just he was really smart. And so I've, uh, I, 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 uh, I skipped the IQ test and just assumed myself to be a genius now. <laughs> I, I figure that's a nicer way than actually having to prove it. <laughs> I might, uh, I'm, 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 I gotta be honest, I'm a little terrified to take an IQ test because well, I would There's definitely it. some self-deceit going on in my life, but when you enter it uh, knowingly, it's not really self-deceit anymore, and so, yeah. uh, <laughs> so I'm all for it, definitely. It just drives me crazy. I, when it, going through college and then, uh, you know, heading into my first job, I was convinced, and, and totally naive, totally stupid on my, ignorant on my part, I was convinced that you're in a professional environment these people are educated. They understand their job. Yeah, or, and that or, is... or people that make more money than you have to be smarter. Yes, yes. That You really do think that, like, coming up, especially yeah. when you're a kid. But even as a young adult, you're like, well, they're getting paid so much. That that must come from something, uh, mm -hmm. you know, experience or in, intel, intellect. Or, it's just something. But nothing at all. None of that. It's, it's either they just... They've been there the longest, and so there's this, you know, sort of uh, history of giving people annual raises and it ends up going up, or or they just conned their way into it, or they just started with someone who was more generous in the salary department, but, oh, god damn, it's, it's so tortured dealing with the people that I have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, and this last week was just, I mean, it was the absolute worst. I mean, it, it drives me crazy when, when I have to go in and correct people's mistakes and then I question them about why those mistakes are made and they say because I didn't do it like what what the fuck like it is apparently my job it is it is my duty to walk around fixing other people's shitty mistakes and if it's not done it's my fault it's not their fault for making the mistake it's my fault for not having fixed their fucking mistake like that is the world I'm living in and it is driving me Absolutely batshit crazy. I just, I cannot understand why this is okay. It's, it's so, um, if you save someone once, uh, because then all of a sudden it's, uh, it's your responsibility and you're, you're the captain of the ship, even if you're not the one being paid to be the captain. <laughs> and uh, it gets yeah. scary at that point uh, when everyone's relying on, uh, on you and, and you're looking at it as it's not your job description. Yeah, I mean... I'm in a I'm in a creative environment, and so I I really don't mind, and I actually encourage uh, a lot of people getting their eyes on a lot of different projects because I think that's where you actually get quality work. Um, not everyone's fingers in in the cooking, but just eyes on, you know, and, and getting solid solid concepts from other creative uh, types. But it does get to a point where you speak up so much and you challenge so much that they lose their nerve, they, they lose their edge, and they no longer trust their own instincts. And that's, I think, where I am right now, where I, I've been working with these people and I've... The thing is, is I, I enjoy what they do. I enjoy what they bring to the table. But I also like to push people to be better and not everyone's okay with that. So if, if you can't be pushed, then you fold under the pressure and you're just like... I. I don't know what to do anymore. I, I can't do anymore. And you just sort of give up. And I, I think I've got a, a handful of people who've just given up. And it's it's really infuriating dealing with that on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, it, it's gotten to the point where I'm like, well, shit, I, I should just move on. Because if, if I can't challenge you to grow and you can't challenge me to grow, then I can't grow. 
and I'm not going to sit stagnant. Like I need to be challenged too. So fuck. it's definitely important to understand people's personalities and then what they're trying to get out of these uh, these professions, and how some are just trying to coast by and just survive, and and some do like to be challenged, and uh, and some need to be nurtured, and some can be challenged, and it just seems like uh, it, it, it's it's always difficult to to get a grasp on who wants what, but if you can, it really, you know, that's the, that's the magic of the whole thing to be able to figure out who can be challenged because definitely some are not into being challenged. You know, the way our minds work is not going to be the way they are. And, uh, and some of them just see that as just an extra bother on their life. Yeah, that's very true. They're there for a paycheck they're not there for a, a career or, a, or goals or anything. Yeah. All right. Well, good. I'm glad that, <laughs> I'm just going to, thanks for your uh, your comments there. I'm just going to assume I'm a genius. Yeah, yeah <laughs> just, definitely the best way to go. You don't need a test to prove that. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, change over here. Let's do a little nonsense letters. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Uh, the most awesome event to happen to my boring town is going on next month. Porn debate between Ron Jeremy and some pastor from one of the city's churches, presumably to discuss whether porn is a vice or virtue. I personally see porn as a virtue because while I'm not wasting my time chasing a skirt, uh, I'm only kidding myself that I could even get. I'm more concerned on my college work as when a carnal need arises, I can take care of it. Just, you know, like any man could with porn, um, and then I can just get on with my life. As LeVay wrote in his essay, Indulgence Not Compulsion, I am completely satisfied and am never frustrated by lack of women in my life. I hold a 4.0 GPA and am always focused on leading a successful life via my career goals. Therefore, the ease of access to porn is a virtue to me. In your opinion, not just as a Satanist, but as a person in this modern-day technologically driven society, how do you feel about the porn industry, Ryan? How do you feel about the porn industry? Well, it's uh, it's definitely been evolving in the last couple of years, so it's it's becoming more uh, more and more hands-on, if you will. And uh, and if you see now, it's all live webcams and uh, and and uh, interactive and stuff. So it's going to be a pretty interesting future of what it's going to be coming. It's becoming very much like. Um, uh, you know, kind of create your own fantasy and be able to live it out if you have enough money, and uh, and so from that perspective, it's a it's a it's probably one of the the industries that's growing the most outside of the technology industries. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what it comes what comes to it in the next couple of years. It is it is crazy to think about because it's it's one of the oldest professions, uh, porn whoring, uh, but it's also. It's at the, the 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 tip of the spear of technology. Every time something new comes out as a, a delivery method of porn, they dive on it. That industry is all over it. So you can find porn, obviously, in uh, black and white trading cards or playing cards uh, from the 1800s. You can find black and white uh, photographies at the turn of the century when photography first started. Uh, magazines, books, beta, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. And I don't know about you, man, but I've never, I've never wanted to see porn in high definition. <laughs> like... Yeah, wait, wait till the 3D TVs and everything. Uh, it's going to be a, an all-new experience for sure. 
Yeah, the more, <laughs> uh, the more um, community-driven porn becomes, the less high def I want it. <laughs> like, I do not want to see my neighbors yeah. fucking in HD. Yeah, amateur 4D is going to be a real fight to, to, <laughs> an, an, to see. It's going to be a nightmare. No, but I, I totally, I, I remember, I don't know about you, I remember as a kid, um, we would have these smuggled VHS tapes that would sort of make the rounds mm. around a bunch of guys, different groups. Actually sounds kind of dirty and gross, but <laughs> we would end up like trying to steal someone's beer or something, you know, someone's dad's beer, but we would just all sit down like and just watch a porn and it was just sort of, we didn't do anything I mean, it wasn't like a circle jerk or anything, but we would just watch it like sort of enamored with what was happening but I think part of what made it great for me was that it was blurry like you know VHS isn't super detailed you don't get to see every little fold or hair or anything else pimple or whatever and that's a good thing that's a really good thing to me and there, I, were, and there were folds in hair back then believe me oh gosh it was so especially you know he just bringing up Ron Jeremy as the debater yes. oh my gosh talk about hair <laughs> that dude but uh yeah, so I and I, I kind of look at uh, I look at porn like this. Um, it is a, a fantasy-driven industry, and on its face, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, however, if you are if you are pushed into porn because uh, you had a shitty upbringing um, and people are taking advantage of you, if in some countries you are forced, actually forced. In, or coerced into porn and, and doing it against your will, I'm absolutely not okay with that. I think there's some serious issues there. And, of course, we also have to look at um, the area that you live in, what are the laws of that area, and you, you kind of have to abide by that. Uh, you know, sort of rules that you never, ever, ever cross. Don't ever, ever, ever look at child porn. Don't ever be involved in child porn. Don't even... Don't ever fucking Google it. Don't do anything with it because it is. It, you do not want to be involved in that in any way. It's not funny. It is not something to take lightly. Stay away from it. If you know that it's really someone against their will, like like rape porn. I know some of that's fantasy. I, I got to be honest. I don't. I don't know. I don't get down with that. I, I don't think it's okay. I'm. I very much enjoy someone. See, I, I, you tell me if this is the way you see it too, Ryan. When I watch porn, I like to vicariously experience it through the couple there. So I like for like the POV type stuff I'm okay with because then I just sort of put myself in that position. Um, when there is a guy involved, I don't it doesn't bother me because I just sort of put myself in that dude's position. I don't I don't look at it as like that is a dude. I look at it as okay, well that is me in that situation. And so he's a, he's I really don't Yeah, yeah, exactly actually. Um and so, if if they're, like, abusing the person, like, I don't get into, and it seems like it's becoming more and more modern takes on this, but when they're, like, smacking the girl and, like, like choking her out and shit, I'm not okay. <laughs> like, I don't get down with that. I don't understand that. I want the girl to want to be doing it. I want her to want to please me. Like, that is what I think is cool. I don't understand that. Do you get into, like, the, the choking and the screaming at him and spitting on him thing? I, I would definitely think my avatar is broken at that point, and I'd be, <laughs> and I'd be worried about him at that point. I'd be Reboot! To connect to a new one. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess the, it, 
you know, they're, they're, it's market, it's a market, and uh, and if there's money in a market, they're going to fill the market, right? And uh, yeah. as disgusting as some of those, uh, as, as some of those little subsections of the industry are, uh, you know, it's there for a reason, unfortunately, and uh, it's hard to see it ever being able to get stomped out because uh, people being uh, people being people, uh, unfortunately, they're always going to look to fill that need, and um, I, I I don't know where. You know, does it does it promote that kind of behavior, or could it actually taper that behavior? That's the only. That's my only kind of uh, um, uh, solace in it. Is like you know, because if it could prevent that kind of behavior from someone uh, where they need that as an outlet, that could be seen as a good thing. But um, obviously, you don't want it to be promoting it and glamorizing it. Uh, so I'm not sure where. Uh, I'm not sure what to. I'm not sure where that sits. It's actually a really good point. I don't, and I, I have to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna side on you here. I don't think that it's promoting that behavior at all. I think if if that's something that you either get off on or you want to experience, then that's actually a healthy way of experiencing it. And so, you know, in in that light. I think it's actually a really good thing because then you're not beating your your girl or some random girl or, or some guy, but uh, yeah, I mean, just for me, I, I don't really dig it, but I definitely understand how how it would be. It actually could be a little healthy for people, you know, to to get it out through that vicarious uh, tape rather than rather than trying to enact it themselves. Definitely from an outsider looking in, it's it's easy for us to, to see it and think, oh God, why you know, why <laughs> yeah. involved with that or looking at that? But but um, you know, at the end of the day if it's if it's helping people uh, be functional in society and not uh, not pollute the society you know, society even further, then you know, it's maybe something that's well worth uh, you know, accepting or at least tolerating. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a tough one. Well, let me ask you about another part of this because there's there's a communication in this uh, letter that isn't involved in the question, but in the setup. Do you think that it's that it's okay? Um, and I that's probably not a good way of, of asking it. But but what do you think of the author's um, disregard of a human sexual partner and championing? of the porn as the alternative while they're focusing on their career girls? You know, I think, uh, you know, one of, one of my, you know, you asked about my hobbies earlier, one of my passions is reading about people that have gone on to be really successful and almost always at some point in their life, they've had to, uh, put other things on the back burner to be able to succeed. And, uh, and that could be, that could be other relationships that could be private, personal relationships, family, you know, how many of them end up getting divorced along the way where they just are so obsessed with, uh, success. It could be, um, their school, um, you know, and so I see sometimes if, if you have a clear plan, you don't want to get distracted from that plan. And so I see mm-hmm. people wanting to really push through and do that. And if, if that's something that could potentially distract you, if you don't think you can balance the two out, then, uh, I, you know, from a, you know, from my perspective, I'd rather succeed in my long-term plan than to be worried about uh, uh, chasing skirt, as I believe it uh, was the yeah. quote. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you're going to have to, there's going to have to be some sacrifices and there's lots of time for that stuff. Uh, especially if you're um, if you do it well, if you're choosing a path that's going to lead to a lot of success and 
later on in life and you have that freedom later on, uh, you pay now or you pay later. And uh, it's, it's probably better to, to forego that stuff right now and get your success uh, and then enjoy the fruits of your, uh, your hard work. Yeah, much like porn, I do see the merits of um, certain uh, lifestyles or, or, or um, you know, fetishes that attract some people. Out, but for me, I just could never do it. This is one of those things. Like, I, I wouldn't say that I ever chased skirt, but I... <laughs> this just sounds so shitty. I always had skirt available, I guess I could say. Um, and so it, it wasn't something that I had to, like, hunt. You know what I mean? It was just... It was just always there, so I never really thought about it. So I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine going through some of the things that I went through in life without a sexual component to it. Like, it is so ingrained as a part of who I am that it's hard for me to imagine not having that. Having said that, I totally understand how, you know, there are some people who don't ever want to have sex at all. They don't even want to look at porn. They just want to focus on something, whether it's teddy bears or kittens. They just, they just, it's not a part of what interests them as a human being. So I get it I, on that level, like, you know, whatever, especially when it comes to you having goals. I think that's amazing. I think it, as long as whatever you're, whatever you're putting off, in this case, chasing skirt, uh, is because there's something else and not because of a sense of defeat like oh I'll never find it so I'm just not gonna try even though you secretly lust and desire after it well then you know if you're putting it off for negative reasons because of fear then I think it's a bad thing but if you're doing it for good reasons like you have goals then it's a good thing and so stay on course my man whatever you're doing you're doing for a good reason and using porn to allay whatever craziness enters our minds you know from time to time so i i think that's great and, and in the context of porn i think on its face i i don't think it's a virtue at all i i think it's what people make of it so if you make it a virtue for you then yes absolutely it's sort of a a, a hollow tube filled with sperm <laughs> i i don't see anything good or bad about it it just is what it is and it's how we use it that makes it good or bad. I mean, some people use it for some really detestable shit that I think they should just be shot over. And some people use it, in your case, to stave off, uh, you know, unnecessary urges while you focus on your career. So, you know, that that's cool. But I gotta say, I could never do it, man. I could never yeah, good do on it. you. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Keep it going. Um, but, you know, in, in that light, do you, do you see it, uh, porn as a virtue, Ryan? Um, I'm kind of of the idea of uh, kind of along your lines where it is what uh, it is what you make it and uh, and obviously there was a great uh, movie last year called Don John who was uh, it was about um, about a, a young guy who was addicted to porn and uh, and just kind of it was a comedy comedy kind of drama and uh, great film that uh, that addresses that whole idea where it becomes a compulsion and uh, forgoing his uh, his real world life for this uh, this cyber world and uh, and really the, you know the consequences of his actions and what can happen and uh, you know losing uh, losing real world partners in exchange for uh, you know websites and uh, and so at that point it becomes you know it's that is your compulsion and then it's obviously a vice at that point and uh, uh, 
you know, it's, it's all what you make of it because for as many of the people that have that as an issue, there's people that don't have that as an issue. And, uh, and so, yeah, really it's, it comes down to, you know, where are you at with it in your mind and, uh, and, and, you know, what are you trying to, what's, what's the purpose of this tool that you, are you using it for? Like it, like he said in one part of his, uh, in his question here, the last part, you know, about chasing skirt and then the next part about, you know, you know, I'd be kidding myself if I was going to actually, if that was actually going to happen or it's, I'm only kidding myself into getting, you know, and so implying that it wouldn't work anyway. And so therefore I'm not going to even try. That's a little bit what you're saying about, you know, are you doing it really because you have goals or is just that you're not willing to step up and, and take a crack at it. And so yeah. those are the questions you have to really ask yourself. Am I, you know, am I in my circle of comfort or am I going outside of that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I actually have never seen that show, but the way you just mentioned it, I've, I've, I've seen it on uh, Netflix, I think it is now, and I saw it in like, the previews and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm going to have to check it out now because I didn't even it's, know what it was about. It was quite, it was, it was funny. It was funny, and uh, it had some interesting, uh, some interesting underlying commentary uh, that, I, that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was worth watching. And, uh, Definitely had some uh, some funny moments that, uh, as a if you're a porn lover, you'd be able to appreciate for sure. Just uh, <laughs> just different sound clips and such that uh, it's appreciable. Oh, I'm checking it out now. <laughs> Hell yeah! All right. Well, I hope that helped. And uh, for you listeners who would like to communicate with Nine Cents and uh, have a question answered on air, just shoot me an email, info at ninecentspodcast.com, and I'll throw it up on a Nine Cents letter as I uh, do these from time to time. Uh, Ryan, thank you very much. I think that was awesome. That was great. Thank you very much. All right, let's do a little unorthodoxy with which Zaftig followed by some militant eroticism, and then we'll close this thing up. Fascination is a binding which comes from the spirit of the witch, through the eyes of him that is bewitched, entering fascination as a binary. Now the instrument of fascination is the spirit, namely a certain pure, lucid, subtle generated of the pure blood of the witch by the heat of the heart. Welcome to another episode of Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. How are you, my dear? I'm well. How are you? I am doing superb. I'm so excited to be seeing you and hearing you once again. I got a lot of feedback from the listeners last time we did this, and it was all positive. Awesome. So those of you who hated it, what the fuck, man? You're not saying shit. <laughs> <laughs> Talk smack about I can words and, and knowledge and stuff. <laughs> I'm <laughs> on the hated hands. Hands. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so once again, uh, Unorthodoxy with which Zaftig is a segment that features, obviously... Which Zaftig, the lovely Witch Zaftig, speaking to your questions uh, that you send in to us about new religious movements, uh, specifically cults, religion and popular culture, magic and esotericism, and of course, lest we not forget, it is nine cents, Satanism. So if you have any questions, what, uh, what email address can people send them in to you? Well, if they want to reach me directly, it would be zaftigworks at gmail.com, all one word, small uh, small letters. And I suppose they could also email the show off of the website. Um, there's a Facebook page now, Unorthodoxy with which Zaftig. So if you like the page, um, you'll see updates. And uh, I also have a blog, which I'm starting to get going. So I'll put a lot more information about what I talk about on the blog as the segments progress and time yeah. willing. Um, so you could contact me through any of those methods and um, or contact your your host here and um, we'll relay the, the questions. I will. 
It'll be faster if you contact her directly, obviously, but um, I'm kind of stalking her a little bit, so <laughs> I'll make sure <laughs> while I'm perched outside of her creepy window. You're not the only guess... one, so it's okay. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I'll bring popcorn for the other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so we, again have received a bunch of questions from you listeners, and we're going to be addressing them. Uh, I don't know that we'll always have time to address more than one. Um, this episode, I believe we are going to knock a couple out. So let's start here at the beginning. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So <laughs> I would like to know if which Zafting knows any good books on the subject of lucid dreaming. I'm really interested in the subject and would like to hear about it from a scholar rather than some charlatan on a cheesy magic website. I could make a cheesy magic website, I think, that would address esotericism. And sure, lucid there are a lot and... out there. So wait a second, <laughs> wasn't oh in um in Arizona there was one of the shooters, Harry? He... Oh, what was his name? Um, Lucas or something like that. But he he shot like the senator in Arizona. Do you remember what? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you follow uh, U.S. Yeah. politics at all? A little bit. Yeah. So he was experimenting with lucid dreaming too. Oh, and it, like. So I, I, I'm interested. Let me step back and have you <laughs> answer this if, if you can. Then I want to kind of chat about this if we can. Well, um, the thing is, so even though I have uh, personally tried to experiment with lucid dreaming, I'm quite interested in my own psyche, you know. And uh, I think that you can, if you're having an episode of lucid dreaming where you are completely uh, immobile, still in that sleep state, but there is part of your brain that has woken up enough just to realize that you are dreaming. Um, and if you can train yourself to stay in that state, you can have some really interesting insight into yourself. Um, I'm not terribly uh, convinced that these are portals to other worlds, <laughs> but I still Whoa, is that an idea that people <laughs> oh, have? Oh, sure. Yeah, different worlds, different. I mean, there's all kinds of different uh, ways people interpret lucid dreaming. Uh, I'm more Holy interested crap. in my the own worlds within my own brain. Um, so uh, I think that when you do that, you do, you can get some insight into yourself, which is quite interesting, especially for some of these dreams that seem to have no relation to your regular life. You know, I sometimes have incredibly vivid dreams that don't contain a person, a place, a thing uh, that has anything to do with my life, yet they're still vivid and full stories. And then sometimes I have dreams that feel prophetic or allow me to have insight into my true feelings about something. Um, didn't realize I was anxious about a particular thing until I had a dream where I was um, panicking uncontrollably about X, whatever it was. You know, you try mm -hmm. to make a, a cool facade for something. So lucid dreaming has an interesting application for knowing who you are. I think uh, certainly in Satanism, if the goal is to know who you are as much as possible, it's one of the avenues you can take. I don't know much about the scholarly pursuit of it, but I do know that uh, Reverend Bill M. in the Church of Satan has done a lot of research on it. So I sourced this question to him, and uh, his response was that um, he could easily fill a short segment on the topic with thoughts and techniques. Uh, but for book recommendations, he gave me the name of Dr. Stephen Laberge, or Laberge, depending on the speaker, L-A-B-E-R-G-E, uh, who has written a lot of books on it, has even an audio tape, and he founded the Lucidity Institute, um, and he's been at this uh, researching it for decades. So that's a good uh, source, at least, to begin your search into it. Um, I do remember that uh, Bill M. at some point had mentioned that one of the techniques was if you wake up, the first thing to do is to write them down, write down your dreams. Uh, because even with very vivid and uh, active dreams, 
when you wake up, your brain starts to discard them because everyday life begins and you don't always remember them. So it was one of the techniques to sort of train yourself to try to remember uh, in order to gain further insight and even for it to happen more. Once you realize it's happening, just sort of calm yourself down if you're in that state of half wake and just ride that sort of state as long as possible. Well, um, hmm. I got a couple questions before I do, though, I, for the benefit of those who have never heard of lucid dreaming before, <laughs> could you give a, a, a brief rundown? I mean, we sort of have talked around it in, in the answer that you've given. Right. So it's defined in uh, different ways, but essentially is uh, the notion that you are aware enough that you are dreaming, um, uh, but not awake enough that you can actually move your body. So the catatonic state of sleep um, means that you are physically immobile. You cannot move. You cannot, even if people move in their sleep, it's not a conscious effort that your brain sends a signal to move your hand. It's an unconscious effort. So you are unconscious. Someone, if someone lifted your hand, it would fall limp. Sleep state is like that. Um, yet a lucid dream is when you are in full REM state of dreaming, yet there is a slight part of your brain that is aware of it, that is cognizant of what is happening, that it is a dream. So you're not a, you haven't woken up enough to be able to move, but somehow in this state, you are aware of it. So for those who um, even just remember their dreams, when I've talked about dreams with different people over the years, I know that some people don't remember their dreams at all, which surprises me because I often um, have made a point to try to remember my dreams, even the ones that have terrified me, um, because I'm interested in what my own dark thought process is so and great thought process and lustful thought process so it's all uh, to me it's about what's hidden in your own mind your secret desires the 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 uncanny the things that you don't want to admit to yourself so to me being able to remember dreams and especially being able to in that lucid state maybe somehow try to control what's happening in the dream can be an interesting mental exercise. It took me a long time for me to be able to control what was happening in the dream during a lucid dream. At first it was just sort of an observer. I'm observing my own dream in this half conscious state. Uh, and even now I can't always do it, but when I can, I somehow have these wonderful, fantastic, interesting dreams. I, uh, it doesn't happen often. Sometimes it happens in states of extreme fatigue. Um, <laughs> but and if I'm really busy, I tend to, you know, get up. If I wake up, I got to get my coffee right away and I wake myself up. So I think that um, it really just means this state of having two parallel lines of consciousness at the same time, which is kind of interesting in itself. So is that, I guess my question would be, where do you think that um, desire comes from to uh, have awareness when you're when you're in your dreams? That's actually not a question I've thought about before. Um. <laughs> and, and the reason why I ask is because I've always sort of looked at dreams as a way of your um, mind sort of decompressing from Certainly. what you've experienced in the day and sort of, you know, what's going on in your life. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're going to tiptoe on wants and wishes and stuff. But I never really thought of it as um, this is something that you can actually learn significant information about yourself through because right. it is very much in my uh, opinion before this discussion uh, like a download 
uh, yeah. of a computer, like a backup or something like that. It's just sort of like filing away thoughts and ideas and, and experiences. So to, to think of it in terms of I could actually learn a little bit about myself while this download or, is, or this unraveling of my brain is in the process. And, and I, I say that because um, though, you know, at this moment I don't have any documentation to back it up, but I, I'm pretty sure I heard before that your brain can only handle a certain amount of information at once, which is why we need sleep, so that it can, like, drop the stress of active th processing of thoughts and stimulus. And if that's the case, I'm sure you would know more than me, um, then while you're lucid dreaming, is that able to happen because you're still actively processing? Oh, I see. That's an interesting point. Um, I don't know much about the neuroscience of it. Um, I'm a social scientist, so. <laughs> but um, certainly I do know that dreams are, uh, yes, a processing for your brain in order to sort through information. Um, whether or not there's a conflict of having those um, sort of processing as well as observing and then taking new information at the same time, I'm not sure. That's uh, an interesting way to think of it. Um, uh, I always viewed it as this notion that uh, here you have an opportunity. Um, I just sort of always viewed it as an opportunity to not only um, gain insight into yourself, but to have really fantastic dreams. When I have lucid dreams, it's an experience. Like I've sometimes waken, woken up about, wow, that was an adventure. That was one of the best movies I've ever seen. So <laughs> to me, it's more, it's also entertainment. Uh, yeah. But it'd be really interesting to see about the neuroscience of it. And uh, maybe I can try to at least find out what um, a couple sources of people that what is that what the science says, as opposed to just what the social scientist says. Right. Well, I mean, for the context of the question, um, could you shoot out that book suggestion one more time? Sure. It's Dr. Stephen uh, with a P.H. Labelge, which is L-A-B-E-R-G-E. And his uh he has a Lucidity Institute. So apparently lots of books, an audiobook, and uh, lots of research out there. I can uh, put links on the website for everything that I find on my Unorthodoxy WordPress blog. Nice. All right. I think uh, I, th I, I kind of want to dive into this next one if you're okay. enjoying it. Okay. Yes. All right. So uh, question here. Uh, methods of Dr. LeVay's translation of the Enochian keys and their relation to D and Kelly's. I frequently use other forms of esoteric language, speech, and sounds at the close of more personal rituals. Um, I'm curious to know if this is a shared practice. This is a really interesting question, and I'm glad it was asked because it allows me to go a little bit further than just Enochian, uh, Enochian language and Satanism, but actually the mm -hmm. history of secret language itself. It has a very long and deep history, which I'll just touch upon, but at least it will put LaVey's use of them in context. So to start out with the listener's question and his mention of John Dee. So John Dee uh, was, at the time, considered a, a scientist. He had a patron of Queen Elizabeth who was interested in some of the things that um, funded part, some of his interest in the natural world and natural philosophy and the natural sciences. This is before uh, what, we can t what we currently understand the scientific method. So at the time, what is magic and what is science and what is natural science is blurred. The lines are kind of overlapping. People are trying to figure things out. So um, it's on that cusp of enlightenment, but it's still 
uh, not necessarily into the modern age and how we define currently the empirical method. Uh, so he employed, um, in one of some of his interests, he had many, uh, he employed uh, crystal gazers or scryers is the name for those that gazed into crystals to have different kinds of uh, revelation. And he had these sessions with Edward Kelly, who was a trained uh, um, apothecary. And Kelly introduced Dee to, um, via crystal gazing, Kelly's the one that introduced Dee to angelic beings and heavenly landscapes, all appearing in the crystals. So Dee, through these sessions that they have, um, they discover that these angelic beings t reveal the lost language of Adam, that there are hierarchies among the angels, and they provided information about the upcoming apocalypse. So there was a real um, apocalyptic thought is way, uh, way more and way older than just uh, the Branch Davidians, contemporary example, or Jim Jones. The idea that the world is coming to an end right now, and here are all these signs. Uh, we have groups dating back thousands of years uh, when we can find some texts. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls are one example that um, different communities at different times thought the world was going to end right now. So um, Dee and Kelly were kind of obsessed with this notion of uh, the world ending and what the secret language of Adam and angels could mean. Uh, Europe at the time was very interested in spiritualism, of uh, psychics, communing with the dead, uh, mediums, uh, crystals, astrology, and whether or not these were sciences, quote unquote, uh, is blurred. Um, because even though what we understand as science now is emerging, the lines between magic and science are very much uh, blurred. So it's important to understand that contemporarily, even some, when they look at D, they tend to dismiss some of his more occultist stuff and say, no, 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 he wasn't really interested in those things. But um, the but certain, certain scholarship that are interested in esotericism say you can't dismiss this part of him, of this all this interest that he had, just because it contradicts what you think <laughs> is yeah. science. It seems anti-science. But at the time, it certainly was not. Um, so to give you an example, there was a lot of aristocrats who had parties um, where they would have crystal gazing. Um, so some of the fancy terms I found for this was catoptromantic or crystallomantic, which is essentially having aristocrats get around together. Um, sometimes they would get through gaze crystals or um, get mediums, um, try to have uh, spiritual experiences. Um, so an interesting time in, uh, in Europe for communing with the other world, because um, it was the notion that somehow right on top of our world was this other spirit world and different people could possibly have access to it. So he's part of this generation interested in reading nature's secret. They viewed it as a natural philosophy, um, including um, D, a lot of these types of aristocrats, those that were learned and were really pursuing these as an academic interest, um, were interested in Kabbalah, mathematics, astrology, magic, in order to somehow be able to get a key to unlocking the secrets of the natural world. And these secrets were placed there by God. We can't forget these are uh, very much Christian aristocrats. And the notion was that even if you're um, learning about different 
cultures and different theologies and different uh, religions that ultimately it's all the same essence and God put it there for you to find. It's secret, but you have to have, um, you have to pursue it in order to unlock the secret. A very occult idea that somehow there yeah. was secret knowledge passed down. In Dee's worldview, Adam, Adam uh, you know, in the biblical text, had perfect knowledge of the Garden of Eden, so perfect information. Uh, but that after the fall of the angels, the sciences became imperfect and corrupted. Um, so he's viewing nature and science as the same thing. The natural world itself becomes corrupted and diluted after the fall. Crystal gazing, gazing was then a method to understand and reconstruct the natural world in its perfect form. It's a scientific experiment. Let's gaze through these crystals. Here's my method, method, and my results are the revelation of the true essence and true nature of things. So he had an enthusiasm to find the primordial language, the language of Adam, and that this language was presumed to have special properties. Uh, to name something correctly was to know its essence, the true name, and then you'd have uncorrupted knowledge of it. So it's the first language, Adam's language, therefore uncorrupted by the world. Now, most of this information I took from a fabulous book called Arguing with Angels, Enochian Magic and Modern Occulture. And the author is Egil Asprem, or Asprem, A-S-P-R-E-M, uh, 2011 release, fantastic scholarly book on Enochian magic. And it will talk a lot about uh, John Dee and Kelly and even mentions uh, LeVay towards the end when he talks about modern stuff. But what I want to do right now is back up just a little bit and give you, give the listeners um, the roots of this notion of secret language. So it has its roots in ancient Judaism and Jewish mysticism. So in the Old Testament, the name of God is, wit is written Yahweh. Um, yeah. just, just the consonants, and it's not because the name of God was considered ineffable. You cannot know the true name of God. Um, because to know someone's name, their true name, is to possess power over them. And this was a very uh, ancient idea. So even in the New Testament with Jesus, when he, uh, in the chapter, uh, chapter 5 of Mark, when he asks, there's a man possessed, and he asks, the demons inside him, what is your name? And their answer is, which most Satanists know, my name is Legion, for we are many. It's this notion of if you name something, you can then have power over it. And there's a history of different people calling up demons and trying to guess their name. A contemporary, very popular example is that legend, that story, uh, a childhood story of Rumpelstiltskin. When Rumpelstiltskin appears to the yeah. princess, I believe, and says, I'll grant you your wish if you can guess my name. So it's, it, it, it is, has uh, an obsession even in a popular culture, this notion of the name having powers. And in the Gospels, uh, to invoke Jesus' name, it gives you protection against demons. You know, in my name, you will be safe. There's different uh, prescriptions for it. So they're reflecting this ancient idea, this theological emphasis uh, on the power of names. And I would even bring it back to Satanism in the sense that it's one of the reasons why Satanists call themselves Satanists, as opposed to secular humanists or atheists, because the name itself and the meta-narrative that it corresponds to, the satanic imagery, the rebel hero, the antinomian stance, individualism, it's responding to these, uh, the symbols encapsulate, encapsulates these things. So... And it's a lot more fun and exciting to use Church of Satan than it is to use um, atheists that engage in ritual <laughs> or some other kind of name, <laughs> right? So the name, the way you becomes a symbol for all these things. Um, 
the medieval Jewish Kabbalists um, were before D, um, but and even concurrently with D, they were trying to access the secret um, hidden meaning in language. And one of the methods they used was gematria, and this was to assign numerical value to words or phrases. And then these numbers were used to assign value to different dates and things. Um, for instance, Shemham Farash was, is one of the, is the numerical value spoken out loud of the name of God. And, he, and Satanists use it in their rituals, but it's a Kabbalistic, uh, it has Kabbalistic origins. And even before the ancient Jews or, or medieval Jews, um, the notion of assigning numbers to language and alphabet comes from um, has Assyrian and Babylonian roots. So when ancient Jews, Jews were exiled into um, the Assyrian and Babylonian empires in, from Judea, because there was a few exiles, you know, people would invade, they'd kick out all the aristocrats, yeah. they'd go and then they would come back as, depending on the favor of a particular king or uh, emperor. Uh, so in the medieval period, this um, Hebrew, the Hebrew was main language that was translated among the Jews. But when European Christian European aristocrats take it up, um, what they do is they're educated elite men. They learn different languages. Some of them knew Greek and Latin and Hebrew because they would hire tutors. So many of them hired Jewish tutors to learn Kabbalistic notions and ideas. Um, the assumption was Jews had some good ideas, but they didn't know what to do with it. Clearly us as elite Christian aristocratic men do know what to do with it. <laughs> so there's a bit of a, an appropriation there, which happens all the time. Um, so sort of dismissing the Jewish roots, but then saying, well, if all this secret language and all these secret powers are here, uh, it's because God meant us to find it. So they're interpreting these ancient ideas as um, set there by the Christian God, you know, as a, an evolutionary scale, sort of an upward trajectory. Here's the early yeah. stuff clearly meant for us to find it now. If we pop back into the modern era, uh, era when LaVey includes Enochian, he in the Satanic Bible, he's positioning himself as inheriting this occult tradition of the secret language, um, the languages, words that reveal secret knowledge. Um, but at the same time, he's critical of occultic claptrap is his famous phrase. Mm -hmm. So he's when he translates them, he substitutes God and heaven for Satan and hell um, because for LaVey's understanding, as, as, as I'm reading it, is that if Enochian is an angelic language and Satan is a fallen angel in these theologies, then his translation is truer, quote-unquote. Although, as always, there's an emphasis that this is for a psychological phenomenon. You respond to the meta-narrative because it helps you in your own magical rituals uh, because we respond to these ideas of secret language, not because in and of themselves the words have special properties. Um, there were other occultist groups like the Golden Dawn, the Rosicrucians, that provided translations, commentary, um, different types of usages, usages, and the magical properties of Enochian. And uh, the contemporaries of Levey contested his Satanizing of Enochian um, for the reason <laughs> that uh, it was supposed to be angelically, obviously. So again, you see that sort of split where what LaVey does becomes a bit of a problem in the occult milieu um, because he's sort of always on that cusp of 
yes, I'm in the occult and I'm uh, also taking a step back and distancing uh, from it. I'm going to respond to the historical narrative and I'm going to deride it at the same time. Um, but if within the medieval period, there were lots of different writers that wrote uh, lots of different texts. Uh, Agrippa is one of them that talked about um, not only the language, but the sound it makes and the chords, the magical properties of the chords, the special mathematics involved with that, uh, and making all these connections between numerical values, sounds, chords, language, um, that somehow could be a secret key if only um, you could do the math correctly or make the sounds <laughs> correctly that would unlock the um, supernatural of the naturalized world. So, and, and even LeVay himself, when he talks about magic and magical math and um, the evocative powers of music, um, is again corresponding to this idea. So, uh, the listener asks if this is a shared practice, uh, certainly a shared practice. It also has a very long history of what it means to have some sort of idea of a secret language, a secret key that unlocks mysteries only to you, but for the specialized person that has deeper understanding. Wow. Holy shit. For you as a, um, a satanic witch, mm -hmm. um, with your... I mean, one, everything that you just said, you know, all of your education on the subject. How do you, um, how do you approach the the Enochian keys? I mean, is this something that that uh, with the curtain pulled so wide for you um, on its history and and development, is it still something that holds any? I you know, we're going to use the word magic for sure. you. Sure, yeah. Um, that's a a good question for me because it's certainly something I've thought about. Like here, I spend so much time. Um, as you say, looking at this, um, I've, I've become trained at this point. I've been in school a long, a long time. Um, my supervisors and my professors train you and push you to not necessarily be objective. True objectivity is, true objectivity is kind of um, an illusion. It doesn't really exist. You are who you are. You're going to interpret things according to your own experience. But you can look at phenomena and look at your material critically and fit it into the larger narrative. Um, uh, without witnessing. So that's sort of the, the challenge, no matter what you're doing. Um, and then the opposing, I would say, for people uh, within the Church of Satan that have asked me similar questions, sometimes uh, veiled and sometimes directly. So I appreciate the direct question, because <laughs> I think sometimes people have tried to ask me this um, in, in subtle ways. Uh, to me, it enhances it because I, I am someone who likes to know a lot about things. <laughs> um, and to me, the, the idea that you are tapping into um, a narrative that is thousands of years old that can go back to Assyrian Babylonian cultures and some of their uh, ritual specialists um, when literacy was extremely rare. And so those that could read these strange hieroglyphs possessed secret powers um, in an illiterate culture. Um, those that are literate are really the magicians of the world. So I like, I sort of see my position sometimes as a scholar in a similar way. It may sound vain, but in part of my own construction of my psyche, learning about something does nothing to decrease its uh, 
to it's magic is the way you'll you use the word uh, because to me the more knowledge I have the more I can then cater it to my own use the more I can then um, tweak it to something that I respond more to so I've certainly used Enochian in, 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 in rituals but not always but um, and if I mispronounce or to me that's irrelevant to me it's about the mood about the ritual about the theater of it uh, when it's used. And I like the idea that I would be repeating something that different magicians, quote unquote, have uh, used for a long time, even if it's for my own purposes. Um, so no, I don't, I feel it detracts from anything. I think some people, if it does detract, then they can abandon it. Like anything, it's about practicality. It's about mm -hmm. the pragmatic approach. Whatever's most effective for you in magical rituals, do it. If learning about the history of something doesn't do it, abandon it. No big deal, you know. But for me, certainly, I respond a lot to it. Uh, you, you put it in a really wonderful way that I never really thought about before, um, to be fair here. So rather than seeing it as... Um, and, and I bring this up because I think there, there is um, a, a pretty solid pathway into Satanism for people. And, and I've spoken to this before, and this is just my opinion. I've never polled anyone for it. But you either come into Satanism through the occult route or you come mm -hmm. in through the atheist route. Right. And for those who come into it from the occult route, um, myself included, I very much <laughs> – part of what uh, made – occult ideas as a young man so wonderful for me was that it was this narrative of um <clears throat> undiscovered ancient knowledge and power right um that as a satanist as, as a grown man uh I, I find is is really just um the search of or the dream of not the existence of right and so it's it's easy to become disillusioned with the idea of, of magic when you realize that. Um, but what you're saying here is that the um, awareness of and continued pursuit of, um, I guess, uncovering or, or maybe even just further understanding uh, this legacy of the hunt or desire for uh, this ancient knowledge or power is in and of itself the empowering uh, essence of it and and that itself can be uh and and i'm at this point putting words in your mouth that in, in and of itself can be the, the the catalyst of the magic for you um just just taking ownership of of living in that legacy um and i'm going to parallel it something with something that may sound a little bit weird but uh, for me <laughs> it actually works really well um <laughs> this may not work well because i just i'm just thinking of this now um in the same way that people feel disconnected when they learn about astronomy, mm -hmm. when you learn about the cosmos, right. um, yeah. you realize that, okay, well, if there is no creator, if there is nothing, then I am completely removed. And, and amazing uh, scholars like Neil deGrasse Tyson say no, because you're actually a part of all that. You, yeah. you are... You know, as I think it was actually um, Sagan said, you're stardust. You, you're a, a child of uh, the process of a star dying so that you are intimately connected with all of this. And, and in the exact same way with magic, we we uh, we may have pulled open the curtain a little bit, but understanding that that curtain was there in the first place to pull and that it is a legacy of people pulling open that curtain. That is what connects you. And that is uh, what what really strengthens that magical um, 
uh, lineage within us as, as human beings, as, as magicians and as Satanists. Um, I don't know. Maybe that was a no, bit of a random I, stretch. Uh, no, I, I think that's well said, and I would agree with you. Uh, to me, the notion, I don't take the notion of uh, study, not worship, lightly. Um, so yeah. uh, to me, the, no, the idea that you can really know something really well um, uh, never makes it disenchanting because there's n- you can never know something back and forth always. Even people who have been married for 40 years, if they're not discovering that their mate has other dimensions to them, it's because they're probably a boring person. Like, yes, you certainly, <laughs> you certainly know them like your own arm in some ways, but um, if you think that the surface is all you get and that's never anything more, you're missing out on knowing this person. You can always go deeper. Um, you can yeah. always learn more about the cosmos. You can always learn more about yourself. You can always learn more. There's no cap on knowledge or information ever. So... I once saw this uh, graph about PhD studies because I'm completing mine um, about how uh, in the vast world of knowledge, here you are, this dot of specialty (laughs) (laughs) that this dot is even just a fraction of a millimeter above the rest of the population. Like you're not even that and way below all the other scholars whose dot has gotten a bit thicker, just a little (laughs) bit, you know, in their small area of expertise. And just to illustrate that even, yeah, it's great you're pursuing this kind of knowledge, but don't forget, here's this vast array of things to learn about and think about and write about. Um, And uh, it sort of puts it into perspective. I find that exciting. I find that really exciting. To me, um, I respond more to that uh, than the idea of a god or, (laughs) or spirituality, although I relate the feeling, the feeling of awe, of knowing a lot of things um, in that same way. It's one of those um, rhetoric tools between um, religious people and non-religious people where they'll say, well, if you don't believe in God, then you never experience awe and wonder. And then the counter rhetoric says, of course, I experience awe and wonder in all these things. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson has often said, if you can't look at the cosmos and feel awed by it, you're dead inside. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so I think that the feeling itself, people are co- religious or not, people are corresponding to a very similar notion. They're just responding to different ide- ideas. To me, the idea that there is no controller God uh, isn't uh, a horror. It doesn't make me feel alone. I, I actually respond more to that idea than I do to something of a grand destiny. Because um, if when I think about the idea that there's some destiny for me that's set and fixed, I feel suffocated. But if I think of the world as wide open and uh, I'm the one that through a series of small choices... <laughs> in a particular direction, can have success in my life with setbacks. That's how I define success. A thousand small choices in a particular direction with setbacks. But that I can experience awe in all these things. But it's, it's free for me to control as much as I try. So I think this notion of awe and wonder and what it means, um, whether you're responding to the idea of a god or magic or the cosmos, is kind of similar. Uh, humans are humans no matter what, as much as we like to, as Satanists, like to think we're better, um, I certainly correspond to that idea. I just don't forget that the emotion attached to it is pretty much the same for most humans. Yeah. Well, goddamn. <laughs> uh, which is haptic. Thank you so much. That was, <laughs> that was an amazing, amazing segment. Uh, we are going to have to end it there. So yeah. uh, leave the people wanting more. <laughs> that's that's our, our theory here. Um 
Where can people, and, and I know we mentioned it at the top of the show, I yeah. want to mention it one more time. Where can people find you online and submit questions to you? So my email is zaftigworks at gmail.com, Z-A-F-T-I-G-W-O-R-K-S. <laughs> um, there's a Facebook page called Unorthodoxy with which Zaftig, and there's an Unorthodoxy blog, WordPress, uh, WordPress blog. Um, so, and I'll try to cross-link everything, and there's a Twitter account, so it will be, um, which Zaftig is just the Twitter account. Um, you can message me on any of those platforms, and um, I'll put your question in the queue. Um, as we said at the beginning, I won't be able to respond to more than one or two a week, but hopefully we can get through them in time. And uh, I look forward to your questions. Remember, I can, res- I can, my specialties are new religions, so anything from Scientologists to Raelians, to the Branch Davidians, to Jim Jones. <laughs> I can do it. Um, ritual, uh, which would be theory and practice, and then also magic, the occult, Satanism, uh, those kinds of things. If it's not something I know about, I will try to source the question to someone who does, even within my department of, uh, of religion scholars. Hell yeah. Well, thank you once again. Thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited to see this develop, um, this this segment develop. It, it You've come out at the gates just on fire so let's awesome. let's keep it going and and to the audience who have submitted or are thinking of and will be submitting questions uh, we really appreciate it. it's your interaction that makes segments like yeah. this possible it really enriches what i like to call the greater satanic conversation mm-hmm. um so if you want to be a part of it if you if you want to uncover a little bit more knowledge uh not only about, um, as which Zaptic just said, subjects that she is uh, educated in or, or currently educating herself in, she has access to other minds um, that, that we may not have access to. So, so ask those questions anyway. Uh, be a part of what is to be one of the great segments on Nine Cents with unorth... I can't even fucking say it. Unorthodoxy <laughs> with which is Aftig. Um, again, thank you so much with Zaptic. It is such a pleasure and... Uh, Till next time, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Slut alone is no slut at all! This I say to you!
Welcome to Militant Eroticism. I'm your host, Den Arden. We are a species obsessed with things that don't exist. Think about language being a system of symbols that represent sounds we make, and stories are artfully crafted lies in order to communicate a lesson or an experience. We operate through our imagination, and why should sex be any different? Well, it is not any different, like I said in Plato's Fetishes. Fantasy, in my opinion, is the most important ingredient in sexual activity. Most people don't connect with what they're doing, but the thought of it. And we're going to play on that fact. In SNM, BDSM, and just plain old role-playing, participants are expected to fulfill a specific archetype or character in order to fulfill a situation with sexual connotations. The most extreme of which is rape. Although there are others, such as incest, doctor-patient, good Samaritan turned into a quickie, priest and confessional, cop-prisoner, various other situations or dynamics, the list is endless. Overall research in these matters has shown that sexual fantasies act much like masturbation, that it simply gives release to a psychosexual need that may stem from a variety of things. Not to say that this is the sole reason for masturbation. Where these needs and wants come from, although an interesting subject to study, is irrelevant. What is relevant is that fantasy can be played out in a safe, secure, and responsible manner without endangering anyone. Yet, I've come across a repeated issue among people who participate in, specifically violent, fantasies with a loving and respectful partner. It doesn't fulfill them. They know that their loved one is not truly submitting to the violence or humiliation, or the other way around. He or she isn't truly disrespecting or hurting them, or is not that character. Because the individuals care deeply for one another, it is difficult to feel the necessary emotions in a violent fantasy, i.e. shame, fear, loss of control, humiliation, or a sense of punishment. This can lead to adultery in order to fulfill the fantasy. That, in turn, fulfills the sexual neurosis. In air quotes, anyway. It may also lead to sexual death with the partner, in which case, separation is imminent. If it is simply a matter of not being able to believe that your partner could do these things, I suggest engineering a heartbreak in your head. Convince yourself that this person is capable, maybe not likely, but capable of doing exactly what you ask them to do. Bluntly, This person that you love is capable of beating you, is capable of hurting you, and is capable of raping you. If that is the roleplay you're asking for. Some would blame this, the not being able to fulfill the fantasy, on the individual who needs the fantasy, because they're the ones who require the disrespectful behavior, and that they should not require it. Well, fuck those people. We're not talking about what ought to be, or what should be, we're discussing what is. Others would blame it on the individual inflicting the disrespect and violence, for they aren't convincing enough. I think both are wrong. If the individuals 
requiring these fantasies, aren't being fulfilled, no matter if they are inflicting or being inflicted, they may not be engaging the fantasy. People who attempt roleplay tend to think their sheer acting is sufficient. It isn't. And most of us suck at acting anyways. You think porn stars are bad, you should see home movies. You have to let yourself slip into this alternate reality. Dismiss your lover as your lover. He or she is someone new, someone breaking in, someone you picked up at a bar, etc. One must suspend this reality. Look at it this way. You get to live your fantasy, but like life itself, it's an active role. Passivity will only earn you a passive experience, and I'm assuming that if you want this fantasy, you are not a voyeur. Engaging the fantasy covers all aspects necessary to making the experience a realistic one. Acting is what you're supposed to say, and a fantasy is what you are saying. This is what you are doing, and this is what you want to do. Here are some tips gathered from various sources, mostly first-hand. Set up your surroundings. This is supposed to be a different world where what is about to happen makes sense. It's an organic process, like life. It should make sense in retrospect, at least in the fantasy. If the roleplay is an abusive husband raping his wife, then how about the wife spends the day cleaning, very nerve-wracked, and forgets to make the bed or vacuum? Or back in the bedroom, sorry. If the husband is supposed to be a subservient little sissy to a ball-busting wife, how about he's he packs, he packs his bags and places them near the door <clears throat> when his wife, in a very sexy you know, business suit, pinstripe, tight skirt, the whole thing, comes home and says, where the fuck do you think you're going? It sounded really weird in a man's voice, but anyway. Two. Research the fantasy. Look up the lingo of your role, the dress code, the tactics, and tools. How does a ball-busting businesswoman look in films and television? How about a battered wife? How do they usually look? Research popular archetypes. Research roles and clues to the roles. I'll give you the example of geeks. Geeks wear glasses, but so do sexy nurses. But both these glasses are different styles. These items inspire a realism as silly as they are. A mole on the face could inspire a more realistic setting. Three, have a safe word. Two kinds of safe words, depending on the fantasy. All safe words are words that aren't used often in everyday conversation, specifically conversations used in that fantasy. You wouldn't say click or tree in a conversation where you're raping your wife. And you also wouldn't say those if a daughter is seducing her husband, um, her, her dad. First safe word is used for fantasies that are more situational and do not contain much violence, such as, uh, you know, doctor, doctor, nurse, um, doctor, patient, where it's just basic. It's just situationism. It doesn't mean stop just because the word is said. It ju it's just stop what is being performed when the word is said. Like maybe you're just going too deep. You don't acknowledge the word, try a different avenue. Because you do not break the fantasy. The second type of safe word is used in more violent role plays or extreme acts of sexuality. Um, you know, maybe a, a blindfold and a electric play or... Um, or rape, or gangbangs, or things like that. This safe word is more like, hold the fuck up. You stop doing everything. You Hands off, you stop. 
until the other party says it's okay. And four, you are not on a stage. Self-consciousness is your enemy in this game, unless that is a part of it. But even then, it makes sense to say that you shouldn't get embarrassed about being humiliated. We all have our quirks. So bear your scarlet A proudly, my lusty comrades. You only live once, and if you're engaging the fantasy, you can live as many lives in this brief span of years as you want. So keep your skirts up, your pants down, and no matter who bends over, it can be someone entirely different all the time. All right, and that is going to do it for another show. We hope you enjoyed it. And I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9cents and get updated on weekly topics and on the off chance that I might throw out another listener co-host challenge. But i got to be honest, Ryan, you set the bar pretty high. I think you did a really good fucking job in this thing. I, I had to be focused. <laughs> you had to turn off the porn window. There was, there was no <laughs> porn, nothing. It was just a dry event. Nice, nice. All right, well, uh, I appreciate your time, man. I think uh, I think you helped shed some really interesting light on some of the topics here. Um, and remember, audience, you can always download the show Mondays via the RSS feed found at 9 Cents. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, and YouTube. Look for us there. And if you subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes, leave a rating or comment. I appreciate it if you do. And remember, let's talk about Satanism here. One stop for all Satanism. That's churchofsatan.com. No other website is going to give you the authoritative views. Churchofsatan.com. The only way we're going to continue doing this podcast is because you continue to share and correspond. So hit us up on face, uh, face on social network sites. Uh, shoot us emails. Whenever you have questions or comments, let us know what you think of the different segments or the different shows or Ryan. Let us know what you thought, how you thought Ryan did on this or if you were pissed because he won and you didn't. <laughs> I, I got more, I got, I, I got to be honest, I did not think I would have anyone interested <laughs> and I got more than I thought I would. I was very, very pleased and I'm sorry, very, sorry, very happy. Sorry, I really did get lucky. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was it was more than the my imaginary brain gap between my there were there were more people that sent in there. Um, all right, so uh, where the fuck am I? Once again, <laughs> thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host Adam Campbell, being joined by Ryan. Can you? <laughs> I was gonna say, can you say your name? I didn't prep you, Ryan. And until next week, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Thank you.